for 30 years of Jesus' life, he was what we would have called a blue-collar worker. Working with his hands, he crafted many benches and tables, I'm sure which adorned the furniture of many homes in his community. But one day, Jesus decided it was time to change jobs. It was time to leave behind the the work of my earthly father, Joseph. And it was time to, to begin my career that my heavenly father had set in, set in place. In Luke 4, 16 through 21, we see a story of Jesus entering the Sabbath, entering the synagogue on the Sabbath in his hometown. He picked up a scroll and he began to read a passage from Isaiah. And then he sat down. But he began to teach Well, see, the posture of a rabbi was to sit. And everyone else would kind of sit around them at their feet, and and they would listen to their teacher, to their educator. When Jesus sat down, he was proclaiming a new occupation. He was proclaiming that he was now a teacher. He was now a rabbi. The other rabbis and the teachers of the law were asking themselves the very same question that we find ourselves asking today. Who is this man? Who does this guy think he is? A rabbi would have had to go through many years of extensive training as a disciple before they could be a rabbi. Jesus hadn't gone through any of that. He had not sat under any other rabbis and learned from them. But now he was proclaiming to the world that that he was a teacher, just like the other rabbis. To, To understand Jesus a little better, we need to get to understand this term, rabbi. Jesus is called a rabbi around 11 times in the Gospels. A rabbi is a teacher or an educator. They were not the kinds of teachers that you and I think of today. These teachers were experts. They knew everything there was to know about the Torah or the law, the first five books of our Bible today. When a a rabbi would teach his disciples, they would They would cite other great rabbis. They they wouldn't quote themselves. They wouldn't say, this is what I teach you. But they would quote rabbis before them to give the correct interpretation of Scripture. They may say that this rabbi says this, but then again, this rabbi says this about this piece of Scripture. It wasn't a sign that the rabbis did not know what they were talking about. But it was being a good, intelligent rabbi. It's kind of like today's judges. A good judge, when they're giving a verdict, they will cite precedents. They will cite other case law that supports their verdict. 
And so the rabbis were just simply stating that not only am I saying that this is what the scripture says, but these great rabbis before me, this is what they say about the scripture as well. However, Jesus was not like these other rabbis. Jesus did not cite other rabbis. You see, Jesus said, truly, I tell you. Or truly, I say to you. Seventy-five times we see this phrase used throughout the four Gospels. You see, Jesus was saying, I don't need to quote any other rabbis. I don't need to know what they said about the Scripture because Jesus was saying, I know. I know the Scriptures better than anyone else. I know God. I know the Father greater than anyone else. So listen to me. Hear the words that I will teach you. Jesus' ability to help the simplest person while still challenging the smartest was understood as one of the signs of his mastery. Early church fathers had a favorite saying that the gospels are a river in which a gnat can swim and an elephant can drown. The gospels are a river in which a gnat can swim, but an elephant can drown. The Gospels, which are the recordings of Jesus' life and teaching, have had such an impact on this world that they have been translated into 2,527 languages. The next most translated book is Don Quixote, which has been translated in 60 languages. The Bible has sold, been sold over 6 billion copies. A very close second is Don Quixote with 500 million. Very close second. The Bible has been sold so much. There are so many Bibles that have been sold that literally they have stopped tracking it. They don't even put it on the top of the bestseller list anymore because it's unfair to everyone else because no one else gets to be number one. One of the reasons we sometimes misunderstand Jesus in his teaching, his method of teaching, is because Jesus taught to change lives. You see, in our education system today, you see... Educators and teachers teach information. It's a transfer of information. I am the teacher. I know this information. And I am going to tell you so that you learn it. And if you're a teacher, I'm, I'm sure... Um, I just totally lost the name. Teresa, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure Teresa is quite aware of this. That... The, the most favorite line that most kids will ask in the classroom, will this be on the final? Because they want to know, do I need to remember this or can I go ahead and forget it now? So they, they take notes and they, they get this transfer of information and they take their test, the exam's over with, and they're done. 
They've lost it. You ask them a test six weeks from the time they took one, it's gone. Because there was no change in their life. You see, there was no taking notes when Jesus taught. Because it's not hard to forget the things that change your life. Do the Gospels, does Jesus' teaching change our lives? Jesus told his followers in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus' followers took this quite seriously. In Acts 5, 42, it says, Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching. They continued to teach wherever they went. Out of this teaching began what has been known as the catechesis or catechism. It was this repeating of words, of texts. The teacher would teach or would say a piece of scripture and the class will repeat it to them. And it's this constant learning of the scripture text and what the meanings are. In the Greco-Roman world, formal education was only for male children from wealthy families. But a group of Jesus' followers remembered that he said to teach all people. And so they did. They began to teach men and women, both free and slaves. In A.D. 150, Justin Martyr formed one of the very first schools in Ephesus and Rome. A school system had begun. So why the strong focus on learning? Why do I take the time to teach about learning and education when it comes to Jesus? Why is it important for us to learn what Jesus said about learning? Well, see, there's this Old Testament passage Toby read it for us a little earlier. It's found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, verse 4 and 5. It's what's known as the Shema. Jewish people would recite this three times a day. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. The Jewish people knew this backwards and forwards. They taught it to their children. And their children, once they had memorized it, would continue to repeat this and pray this prayer three times every single day. One day Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? What is, if we have to forget everything... He was asking, the teacher of the law was asking, what's going to be on the final? What do we have to know of everything that is taught? What do we need to know? And Jesus started out with the Shema. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Something sound a little bit different in that moment. The Jews kind of perked up a little bit and that doesn't sound right. 
Did he change something? But Jesus did. Jesus says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our minds. You see, the mind is the most powerful thing about you. Your mind controls everything. Your mind controls what you believe about yourself. You see, believe it or not, contrary to what we think, what you think in your mind about me does not make me who I am. It's only when I allow my own mind to listen to what you think about me that I give you control over my mind. Your mind is the most powerful thing about you. Are we using our minds? So I'm going to give a little plug. Why a retreat? Why a spiritual formation retreat? As I was thinking about it this week, I realized that this is exactly one of the main reasons. Because you, you see, this is what typically happens. We, we, we live our lives... I'm going to use you as my scapegoat here. So we live our lives constantly hearing from Satan tell us, you're not going to amount to anything. You know what you did the other day was wrong and you shouldn't have done it. And you need to feel guilty about that. You know you're not a good husband, right? I hope you know that. I hope you know that your kids hate you. But see, all the time we're hearing Satan loudly come across and yell these things at our lives. But see, Jesus is right beside us saying, it's okay, Tim. I'm right here. I haven't left you. You don't need to listen to him. You know who you really are. But you see, Jesus doesn't raise his voice. He calmly sits beside you and assures you. And he whispers into your life. And you see, when he whispers, we haven't stopped long enough to listen. So the point of having a retreat like this is to take the time to listen. To take the time to renew our minds. To focus our attention on nothing else to put technology aside, to take a piece of paper and a Bible and yourself and focus on God, to focus your mind on God. And you see, if your mind does not focus on God, your heart can't. Your soul can't. So the retreat is a time to learn 
how to put things aside and focus on God. How to hear the whispers of Jesus speaking into your life and push Satan aside. So I hope that clears up a little bit about what the retreat is about. Back to learning. The single greatest preserver of classical pagan documents, hence I said pagan documents, were followers of Christ. You see, because they believed that if they were going to truly learn, they needed to learn every possible scenario out there. That it wasn't just the followers of Christ who had all the answers. But there possibly might be people who don't follow Christ that may have some really good thoughts on something. Or, if they have something that's totally off base, it was by reading what they said and being able to attack it, being able to look at that and say, no, that's not right, this is what Jesus says. They were more able to speak to people in their community about what was true. Because now they were learning about what society was saying and about what truth was. A Jesus follower named Benedict was a monk and he collected so many books that he became known as the godfather of libraries. So it was in monasteries that libraries began to develop. And out of monasteries come universities. The first university was established in Paris in 1253. Oxford and Cambridge quickly followed in the 13th century. Do you know why they're called universities? They're called universities because they reflected the idea that in the beginning, God created all things. God created the universe universities, that God was at the center of all knowledge, of all creation. Education, again, changed when Martin Luther emphasized from the New Testament that the priesthood of all believers. You see, prior to Martin Luther in the, the Reformation, I would be the only person allowed in this church to own a Bible and to read the Scriptures. Because you wouldn't have even been able to read at all. Let alone even own a Bible. It, you wouldn't have had it. And actually, before Martin Luther, there wasn't even a translation for his people. He was a German man. There was no German translation of the Bible. But Martin Luther taught that each person should be able to read and write and be able to study the scriptures for themselves. And so he translated the whole Bible into German. And he dispersed it through all the, all the people in the towns and taught them how to read. He taught them how to write. He taught them how to study God's word. Luther wrote a book to parents who neglect the education of their children. This is what he said. 
I shall really go after the shameful, despicable, damnable parents who are not parents at all, but despicable hogs and venomous beasts devouring their own young. Luther evidently didn't have any problems, you know, expressing himself and his emotions. Yes, very blunt. But he believed that as a parent, the worst thing a parent could do was not educate their child, was to not teach them about the ways of Christ. Six years after the Puritans came to the Massachusetts wilderness, they established a school that became very successful over time. This is from the student handbook of this school. It said, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of this life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore, to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Can anyone tell me who that university is? Harvard. Would anyone have guessed that Harvard began based on Christian principles? I never would have thought that. 92% of the first 138 colleges and universities founded in America were begun for followers of this uneducated, itinerant, will never write a book, Carpenter. 92% of the first 138 universities were founded to educate followers of Christ. In 1780, a Jesus follower in Great Britain named Robert Rakes could not stand the cycle of poverty and ignorance that was destroying little children. He believed this was a whole generation that was just going to waste. He said, the world marches forward on the feet of little children. And so he took these children that had to work six days a week. And there was just happened to be one day that they were free, and it was Sunday. He said, I am going to start a school for free to teach them to read, write, and learn about God. Hence the beginning of Sunday school. Some of you just came from Sunday school at 9 o'clock. Sunday school. Within 50 years, there was 1.5 million children being taught by 160,000 volunteer teachers who had a vision to educate this generation. You see, Sunday school was not, was not a privatized, optional program for kids. It was one of the greatest educational triumphs in the world. You see, Sunday school wasn't meant to be something that we took lightly. 
It was the place where adults and children came to learn about God. Because Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Some other little interesting facts that come from the early church. Christian missionaries were the first to compile dictionaries. They wrote the first grammars. And they started many of the first alphabets. Monks invented horseshoes. Tandem harnesses. The horse collar. The first windmill was used to grind grain in the 6th century to give monks time to pray. They needed to pray. So how are we going to have time to pray if we have to work? We have to work this land and that's how we get nourishment. So how are we going to take time to pray? Let's make something so that it will do it for us. So they used their mind to be able to give their time to God. Mechanical clocks were invented by monks because they needed to know when it was time to pray. So they, how are we going to know when to pray? Let's make something that will tell us. We first hear about the invention of eyeglasses in a sermon around 1300. Monks needed to spend time, spend long hours poring over the scripture texts. So many of them went blind because of staring at the text for so long. So they developed these little pieces of glass that allowed them to see the scriptures for longer periods of time. So when you put your glasses on in the morning, even your eyeglasses are a reminder that Jesus Christ changed your world. Why? Only the privileged got to learn. Only the wealthy got to learn. But Jesus said that's not the case. It's important that each one of us uses our mind to learn about God, to grow closer to Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I'm not um, making fun. I'm not, like, saying anything against um, people who have um, Alzheimer's. But one of the things that I've heard is a, a lot of times we see this happen to people who are, who are very intelligent. And... And one of the things that people or doctors are saying was, well, they stopped learning. They stopped using their mind. And because their mind was so used to working so hard over time, doing so many things, that when they stopped and calmed down and, and stopped using their mind, they lose it. They lose their mind. So using that, let me ask you this. If we don't use our minds to focus on Jesus Christ, 
to learn about who he is, I wonder if we'll remember when we really need him. I wonder if we'll remember who he was. Think about it. I want you to, I want to ask you a question. How many of you, if you attended church as a little kid, can say that there was a Sunday school teacher or that there was, or even just Sunday school period had an influence on who you are today? Because people devoted themselves to teaching young people who Jesus was. Because they saw that it was important to teach you, to speak into your lives. Why is it that in today's churches, you can't beg someone enough to teach a Sunday school class? Why is it people don't want to? Is it because we're concerned about us not knowing what we need to know or us not having the answers? Well, I'm a pastor and I don't have all the answers. But you see, when we say to ourselves, it's, it's more important to teach someone else about Jesus than it is about me not having the answers. It's more important for me to, to teach someone about Jesus Christ than, than being in the worship service every Sunday. You see, because I firmly believe this, and, and I'm not just like saying this to, I'm not like saying anything just against this church. I'm speaking big church in general. One of the hardest places to staff in a church is the nursery. But you know what? If kids don't have a place to go, parents don't have a place to learn. But when adults step up and they say, I'm going to care for your child because I know it's important that you learn about Jesus today. I know it's important for you to worship today. So I am going to bless you with the opportunity to learn and to worship. You see, it's this transformation of thought. It's this pushing away of, I need to be, I want to do, I want to worship. It's about me when I come to church. And begin saying, what can I do for someone else? What can I teach someone else? Don't ever let yourself your mind, tell yourself that you don't have something to teach someone else. Because that's the, one of the biggest lies you can tell yourself. Every single one of you in this room, I strongly believe, can teach me something. That is the only way I learn. The minute you say somebody cannot teach you something is when you will stop learning. 
Because you are here for a purpose. Jesus Christ came and he said that I want you to renew your mind. A transformation of your mind. Getting rid of what's old and beginning to believe what is new. Beginning to hear the whisper of Jesus speaking into your life. It's only when we listen to that whisper and we allow ourselves to learn and renew our minds to Jesus Christ that you begin to transform your life, your community, your world. Because you see, like I said last week, history shows that it was where the early church went. It was where the church had been found where transformation had taken place. It was where the people went and where they taught Jesus Christ that communities were transformed into something new. Don't limit your mind. God created you with one of the most powerful things in the world. Because you see, it was the mind who got us to the moon. It was a mind who somehow teaches a person about all of the intricate muscles and veins and arteries and bones and everything inside the human body to be able to open you up and fix you and heal your body. A mind. But it was because Jesus said... To love the Lord your God with all of your mind. When you do that, you begin to transform your soul when you focus on Jesus Christ.